Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. And God, we do pray that that would be true for us. God, even as we get to sing about how much we love you, and as I think about the cross behind me, just looking at it and looking at the love that you have for us while we were yet sinners, you taking beauty out of ashes, you making alive what was dead, you calling us home when we were lost, you bringing us into right relationship with you. God, we are so thankful for the gospel. Would we never feel the need to move past it, to graduate from it, to move on to something higher or deeper in our Christian faith, God, but would we be centered around what you did for us while we were yet sinners? God, we are thankful for that. God, I want to thank you for the time that we are here tonight. Would you bless it? God, everyone here tonight, there's a thousand other things they could be doing, and they've chosen to be here tonight to sing praises to you, to hear from your word. And and Holy Spirit, we ask in a supernatural way, would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? And would you help us to leave here loving Jesus more than when we came? We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Um, Ethan, thank you for leading us. That was that was much that was needed. That was really good. So, um, so last week, if you're if you're new or haven't been here in a while, we started a series um, entitled Fight Club, and um, we are recording them, but we're not posting as uh, the slogan of Fight Club. What happens at Fight Club? Stays at Fight Club, yes. Don't watch the movie. But anyway, um, if you are new, um, typically we'll record these and we'll post them. But last week we talked about fighting in your relationship with God. And um, if you've been around for some time, I talked about last week how the only way, the only way I know how to teach the Bible, the only way I know how to lead, the only way I know how to do anything is to just be myself. Um, my heart is always on my sleeve. If I'm pretending, you'll smell it a mile away. And so I just choose to say, hey, um, typically if I'm writing a series or thinking through a series or teaching a series, I'm just saying like, hey, um, I'm, this is what I'm working through. This is what I'm struggling with. And, and I think it'll resonate. And so why don't you, and I gave the invitation of, hey, why don't you kind of jump in with me and learn and, and see what God would have for us. And we talked last week about fighting in your relationship with God, how you fight for yourself, how you fight against yourself, or the spirit, our spirit and God's spirit, they wage war with one another. Um, we talked about how we need to fight the right way, which is God's way, and we looked at Psalm 37, and then we, need to talk, then we talked about how we need to stop fighting God, that when you fight God, or if I fight God, 10 days out of 10, I take the L every single time, that if I go against God, he'll accomplish whatever he wants just at my expense. And and we talked about that last week. We talked about how um, the fighting that you have um, in your life, that you are in more than just a fight of what you can see. That when you feel opposition in relationships, you feel opposition in your career, you feel opposition in schooling, and in what God is calling you to do, it's more than what you can see. The Bible talks about what is called the unseen realm. How a lot of our battles or things we are fighting against is a spiritual battle. 
that the devil is really out to steal, kill, and destroy every single one of our lives, and God, in, in Jesus Christ, is out to offer abundant life. And so we, we talked about that a ton last week. I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, some of you are wondering, but uh, we talked about this enemy, how we shouldn't be ignorant of his designs. Tonight, we are going to talk about how five lessons or five ways when fighting for your friends and how you should fight for your friends. And before that, I just want to read our theme verse. I didn't put it on the slide, but it's in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. This is what it says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The goal would be at the end of your semester, at the end of your season of life, at the end of your college career, at the end of your run, you would be able to say, I have fought the good fight, that I have fought the right one, not the wrong ones, that I have stepped into whatever God has called me to do, and I haven't missed the faith that he's wanted me to grow in, the relationships he's wanted me to engage in, and the lessons he's wanted me to learn. That you would say, I'm active in my fight, not passive. Because if you become passive, you will always lose. Regardless, you have to step into a fight. Now, how many of you enjoy, enjoy, just, just be honest here, you enjoy watching other people fight? Like you're, you're pulling up on boxing, you're watching MMA stuff, you want to see, uh, what's his name, Jake Paul's going to box, what's his name at the end of this? You want to watch a fight, you like a good fight. And, and, uh, but you would rather not be in the fight. You're kind of like, eh, I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I want to watch it. I want to see what they're doing. But I myself would rather not. Um, I was, and this is a sad, not funny, true story. I was uh, 13 years old, and I shared last week about the first fight I had got into. This was, there was a season of my life where my brother and I were really close, and we would drive around in uh, his truck with Cody Chance and I, we would drive over into Ellet in Springfield on a daily basis. This is not a lie. We would get out of work, we would run the speedway, and then we would just drive around looking for people to fight, <clears throat> okay? Not me, okay? Not me. I was like, Thursday, I'm like, get him, you know, I'm in the back, I'm, I'm hanging in the, in the truck bed. Like, we to random, you know, they'd be texting, we played them in football, we're mad at them. It was just, it was really dumb. And if, if at the end of the night we didn't find, they didn't find a fight, it was like a bad night, you know, just stirring up drama, just being stupid. Well, this one particular time, this is ingrained in my mind forever, and it's really a sad story. But anyway, we, uh, we had played Springfield in football, and Cody and this guy named Dylan Matthews were like rivals. And Dylan Matthews was this guy who was not much bigger, but he was a machine. Okay, just no one should be fighting this guy, Dylan Matthews. So anyway, uh, we end up going to Springfield Lake, and behind Springfield Lake, there's this like spot where everyone's hanging out and kind of fighting and yelling and stuff like that. Well, we were from Mogador, and we had, we had probably 30 people in the graduating class. Just keep that in your mind. So anyway, we, Cody had got his buddies. They were mad at Dylan Matthews. My brother was, you know, scheduled for an 830 fight against Dylan Matthews, and Cody scheduled for an 845 fight against this guy. And we, I remember driving there. And even if you're not fighting, do you know the adrenaline that you feel during that time? I mean, it's intense. I'm not even fighting. I'm like, <laughs> like cranking music. We're playing, drinking, bang energy drinks. We're yelling, all this stuff. We're losing our minds, okay? So we get there, and as we pull in, we have three cars, and we have trucks, and, and the truck beds are loaded. Like, we went to a service spot, filled the truck beds with people, and then we went. So, I mean, with Magador, we have about 35 people, okay? And that's, we got everybody. Anyone who can fight, that's, that's the whole school pretty much. 
we pull up to this parking lot, park area, I'm not exaggerating, probably 200 people were there. And I think they were all from Ellet, Springfield, some Kenmore sprinkled in, and I was like, oh no. This is, I'm like, Dan, what are we going to do? He's like, we, I mean, we're here, man. So we, we pulled up. As, as we pulled up, I mean, it was a nightmare. Guys are dragging people, they, they are dragging our team out of trucks, beating people up like crazy. I mean, it was, it was wild. I will never forget this. And my brother is getting, I'll be honest, he's getting his head pounded in from this guy. I mean, Dylan Matthews is just, just laying them in. And I remember, I'm 12 years old, and I was like, I saw it from afar, and I'm like, I have to do something, right? This is my brother, right? We're blood. I mean, I got to step in. So I got a little ambitious, and I'm over there to step in for my brother to help him fight. And I am not exaggerating. Some chiseled Greek god with no shirt stepped in front of me, looked down at me and said, you touch him, you die. I was like, no! <laughs> and I was like, no! So, and then at the end of the night, like, uh, I remember cops came, everyone scattered, everyone left, and I remember all, everyone got beat up but me. Like, I was just kind of like watching from afar, and I'm checking out, we get back to the, in the truck, we get back to like our meeting base, our home, and me, I mean, my brother's in bad shape. I mean, it's not funny, he's just in bad shape. And he's like, Mike, wh where were you, bro? I was like, Dan, I tried that they wouldn't let me, bro. Like, I tried to fight for you. And you know that feeling when um, I'm, I'm the youngest. So if you're the youngest of the family, you know what this feels like. You're like, I tried, but you really didn't. And you got embarrassed. And now you're making stuff up. You're lying a little bit. And, and, and it really is this feeling, as maybe funny as that is, story of a story. It was a lesson of like, hey, be wise going into a fight. But also, if you're going to fight for someone, you should have a plan or a strategy or something that you're going to do worthwhile. Because going into that fight, we were unprepared. We didn't know what we were looking at or against. And I mean, we just got our butts handed to us. And I mean, I remember after that, we didn't drive around looking for fights. That was like, we had bonfires with pallets after that. It was just, we transitioned into a different season of life, you know, and we were just like, oh, they're jerks, they don't know, they're LA and all this stuff. So anyway, I tell that story because, because um, you and I are in a spiritual fight, how I said last week and tonight, but also we have a calling from God to fight for our friends and for our friends to fight for us. And I share that story to, to encourage us, but also to challenge us in a spiritual sense for you to ask yourself the question, do I, do I have people that I'm fighting for? Do I have people I'm fighting with? Or do I have people who are fighting for me? Because if you go into a fight alone that you are not prepared for and that you can't win, you will lose. You have to have someone who will stand in the gap for you when you don't know what you're going to do. It says in Acts 2, uh, 46 or 44 to 47. If you'd pull it up for me, Sydney, I think it's Acts 2, if it's not in there. Okay, that's fine. It, it's froze. Perfect. Acts 2 says this All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all, as any had need. And day by day they were attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They had received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with, pe with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh, perfect. There it is. Um, 
hear that or when you see that. For my friends who are not Christians, they will say, Mike, when I, when I talk about church or what church should be, my friend texted me last night. He said, bro, it sounds like a cult. And I was like, it's not as bad as your cult. Anyway, I, I did say that. I, I said that. And it's, and it's not a cult, right? It's not, we're not communists here. But what we are saying is that when you have people fighting for you, when you are in need, someone steps up to help you. And doesn't that, doesn't that feel awesome? Now, for the, for the ladies, they're like, I have someone who fights for me. I have someone who steps up for me. But for guys, we're kind of like, get out of my way. I don't want nobody fighting for me. I, got, I mean, I, I can handle my own stuff. It's embarrassing. It feels like an attack on our manhood. You're kind of like, I don't want anyone fighting for me. Now, I want to read this quote because I thought this was fire. So Caesar, um, when Christianity first started to take off, he would send a spy into the church who was not a Christian. He would send them in and say, investigate what in the heck are these people doing? He said, this can't be real. This can't be true. Go in and investigate. He sent one of his spies and the spies came back church history. He said this, they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own home and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is any among them who are poor and needy, if they have spare food, if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the need their lack of food. He says this, such, O king, is their manner of life. This is a new people, and there is something divine in their midst. That, to me, sounds like an army, right? People who are caring for one another. Someone on the outside can say, they fight for each other. They fast two or three days a week to make sure people have enough food. That, to me, sounds bizarre, Right, And he is saying that is the type of community. That is the type of people that you and I are supposed to have who will fight for us. People who will lay down their life in a sense for us. And what I'm going to do is turn it and say, are we doing that for someone else? I have five things tonight real quick. I'm going to smoke through, I think, the first two, Lord willing. And I'm going to get real practical at the end just so you know where I'm going. So the first thing is this fight alone. As in Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks out his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. If you have thrive more than six times, I have quoted this proverb. Uh, I talk about it a lot because I think God works it on me a lot and also I think it's important for us. If you try to fight alone, you will lose every single time. You will lose every single time. And what the enemy likes to do is he likes to convince you that you do not need anyone. You don't need anyone. People are bothered by you needing them. They're exhausted about that. So you start to believe that no one, no, everyone's really just tired of you. Tired of your struggles. Tired of you needing prayer. Tired of you needing accountability. All of that. And so what this proverb is saying, if you isolate yourself then you will start to break out against things that are common sense for you. That sometimes you need someone else to look into a situation and say, if I were you, this is what I would do. It's in Matthew 12, 25. Jesus says this. <clears throat> is it frozen again? Sweet. Uh, Matthew 12, 25 says this. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself 
will stand. That if you are divided in your community group or in your small group or in the people who keep you accountable, if you're always fighting against, you can't stand. You literally just won't make it. You will, if you're always at odds with people you're supposed to be unified with, you'll fall every single time. God always promotes unity, and the devil, who's a counterfeit, always promotes disunity. He's always trying to divide. He's always trying to do that. I think I had a picture of Conor McGregor, if you can pull it up. I don't know if this computer is just a rip. That's totally fine. Yes, so some of you will see this, and you want to share this. The reality of being a man, nobody cares, work harder. Yeah, you're kind of, yeah. I mean, right? You, you see that, and you want to share that. You want to repost that, because you're kind of like, that's been my experience. Nobody cares. Don't share your feelings. Don't share uh, what anyone, don't, don't share if you're struggling. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know. Work harder. Shut your mouth. Do what you should do. End a story and follow Jesus. But the problem is you can't follow Jesus alone. You can't. Jesus himself, while he was on this earth, did not follow the Father and the will of the Father alone. He didn't. He set the example and he was with people in close enough proximity to where they were able to help him and he was able to help them. The question is this, are you fighting alone? Are you fighting alone? And I know that there are seasons of what we would call isolation. You ever just went through a season where you feel like you ain't got nobody? You ain't got nobody, you're like, man, the people I used to text don't text me back. The people I used to hang out with I don't hang out with them, or the people, you know, I, I kind of, my friend groups have transitioned. I'm in a season of isolation, and this is what I want to say. Take a season of isolation and use it as solitude, because here is why this is important. The enemy and the devil uses isolation as a tool. He uses isolation as a tool to isolate yourself and to break out against all sound judgment. Solitude is a gift from the Father. Jesus himself would spend times and seasons or days or weeks in solitude. It says in Mark 1.35, he would break away from a crowd early in the morning, solitude away from the Father to pray. And the example is, if Jesus needed solitude, so do I. I need time away from people with God the Father, but I don't need isolation. If I'm in a season of isolation, I would say, God, what do you want me to learn now that I can't learn in any other season. If I'm always fighting, if, if you feel alone, say, God, in this season of isolation, I want to use it as solitude, that I would go to you just as Jesus did. And the first one was don't fight alone. Second one is this, join those who are already fighting. Um, it says in Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so they're surrounded by people, you have people around you, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's what is what I like about Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It is, I don't want to say impossible, but I, would, I want to be that extreme, because you know. It is almost impossible to lay aside sin and things that are holding you back from following Jesus alone. When you are alone, isn't it easier just to fall into a routine and habits to where you just kind of are existing, but you're not living? 
You go to work, you come home, you watch TV, you watch YouTube, you're watching live streams, you're doing whatever, and next thing you know, it's, it's been three weeks, you haven't done anything. It's been three months, you haven't done it because you're in your routine, right? You just get caught in it, and you don't have anyone who is there to say, hey, I think you should consider doing this, or anyone who, when you get caught in a slump, they're able to say, hey, what's going on, what's wrong? So for some of you, some of us, you have to look at those who are already in the fight. It says in Philippians 3.17, I think it's the next verse. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So watch those who are in a fight. And I mean, I've, I've said this a million times. I just got to say it again. Um, the, the people you are around, you will become. It's just a fact. Take your closest friends. Show me your friends. What? Show me your future. The people you are around are the people that you're going to be like. And so if you would take an evaluation and say, man, I don't like where the spiritual temperature is of the people I'm around. You have two options. You either say, hey, I need to get around. I need to join those who are already in the fight. I need to walk up to someone and say, hey, I follow Christ, but not that much. Can I come around and spend time with you? I want to be around people like that. Or you stay where you are and you say, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to start a Bible study. We're going to seek after Christ. I'm going to raise the bar in the group that I'm in. How awkward, uncomfortable, weird that is, right? Because you're like, who am I to judge? How am I supposed to say anything to them when I'm, I've been around these people? I've been around this person. But here is what you need to ask yourself is this. The people you're around, if you stepping up spiritually or trying to raise the bar spiritually is not going to do anything, eventually you must ask, say, man, do I need to find some new friends? Which is the hardest, most risk-taking thing you've ever done in your life, right? You got to find the right people and say, it's my spiritual walk that's at stake, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, People who are fighting and looking to Jesus. Number three, you have to, you have to fight with grace. Fight with grace. It says in Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so any sin, kind of sin, you name it, you categorize it, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Man, I love Galatians 6.1. Do you know those people who are really good at telling the truth? They're just, they're lawyers, they're smart, they're, they're, very, they're kind of abrasive, but they're just always telling the truth. But they have not an ounce of grace. Not an ounce of grace. You would know them because they don't have many friends. Not, people can't be around them for long because it's, it's always discouraging. It's always discouraging. If you see someone caught in a sin, if you see someone, if you're going to fight for someone, you have to say, I need to say something. We're going to talk about practical things here in a second, but I'm going to say it with grace because if I get caught in that, how would I want someone to approach me? How would I want someone to approach me? And then it says in 2 Timothy, Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. What about the people who are jerks? I don't like, why does it say everyone? 
everybody. Your mean coworker, your lazy coworker, the person, your roommate who's a slob, that they don't do anything, your parents who are on your back, the people at school who are just annoying and they're wackos, everyone, right? Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> if you're going to fight for your friends and you only fight with truth, you'll eventually not have friends to fight for. But if you have friends who never bring the truth, you will end up doing whatever you want, being whatever you want, and following Christ will become just something on the back burner. They never bring the truth. If I had to choose someone who would bring the truth or grace, if it was one or the other, what would I pick? I would probably pick the truth. Because someone who doesn't bring the truth at all, you can end up wayward in your own life, in your own walk with Christ, if they never say what's true. Jesus was what? Grace and truth perfectly equal with both, full of grace and truth. And number four, and I'll get real practical now for some of us, fight for and not against. Fight for and not against. Let me just give you a quick background story of this. There's this guy named David who commits uh, sexual sin. He sleeps with one of his uh, commander's wives. He gets her after he gets her pregnant, he realizes, oh crap, this is not good. So he commands someone else to go kill the, the, the lady's husband because he doesn't want to get caught in his sin. I mean, he's, if you don't think the Bible deals with people as sinful as you are, as sinful as I am, you just got to read it a little bit. You're like, these people are way worse than me. So anyway, there's this guy, Nathan shows up, and Nathan tells him a story. He's kind of... I want to use the word strategic, what I, which I don't like, but he's using this story to, to expose him. It's kind of like when your parents will ask you questions without confronting you to get you to the point where they want you to be. So he tells a story, hey, there's this guy who has a lot of lambs and this guy who has one lamb, and it's kind of a weird story. It's irrelevant, but here's, here's what is important. Nathan said to David, you are the man. He's confronting him. Thus says the Lord, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Man, I wish we could talk about that. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. I think there's one more slide. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? It says in Proverbs 13, 13, if you receive the word and obey the word, it counts a blessing. If you reject the word, it brings destruction. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite, so he killed this guy, with a sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So, here is what is important. I, this is why the point is fight for, not against. Do you ever feel like you can remember a time when you tried to confront your friend? You tried to say, hey, I don't think this relationship is good. I don't think this job choice is good. I don't think this looks good. And the person lost their mind on you, would never talk to you again, and you're like, great. I can't confront them anymore. I can't confront anyone. 
I'll lose the friendship. It's not, some of you would say, it's not worth losing the friendship and confronting them. I would rather let them destroy their life and have Friday nights hanging out with pizza and a movie or whatever you guys do. I don't know. You need to fight for them, not against them. And here's where I want to get real practical. Here are four quick things when you are fighting for your friends or how to fight for them. The first one is this. You have to, have to, have to give somebody permission. You have to tell someone. Because in the day and age we live, any kind of confrontation is considered a personal attack. If you confront someone on something they're doing, they'll say, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? You're like, right? I mean, is that true? Hey, I think you could work a little bit harder in this one. Why do you hate my guts and want to kill me? Right? You, it's, a, it's an attack. It's so extreme. It's personal. So here's how, here's how you be proactive that you have people in your life that can fight for you. And, and if you're a Christian or not a Christian, I think both of these apply. I think these will apply in every... Give them permission and say, keep me accountable in this area. Hey, I'm stepping into this relationship. I want to make sure I don't get whack. If I get whack and I get crazy and I get possessive or obsessive or whatever the word is, possessed, I don't know, will you say something to me? I'm giving you permission now. Hey, if I start this, whatever, this next stage of life and it's not looking good, hey, if I disappear, would you say something to me? Would you, you give them permission? And the second one is tell them how far to fight. Sometimes we miss this one. And I think this one is really practical. You show them or tell them the extent in which you want them to fight for you. So if someone says, hey, I, I, wanna, I want you to keep me accountable. And let's just say, let, let's just say, and I, I mean, I want to use the obvious one of like pornography, but let's just say, I want you to keep me accountable in reading my Bible. Let's just use that. Let's just keep it PG at church. Read my Bible. Well, how often would you like to read your Bible? I don't know. Once every two days. How would you like me to ask you once a week? You want me to call? You want me to text? You want me to show up at your door? What do you want me to do? Lay out what it's going to look like and for you to say, this is how far I want you to fight and this is how serious it is for me. I think if you gave people permission, you would tell them how far to fight, people would know and you would know, this is what that person wants me to do. They want me to call them out and say, hey, this is wrong. You're really going whack right now and if you could talk to yourself two years ago, you wouldn't believe where you're at. You need people who will fight for you, and you need people who will fight to a certain extent. And number three, tell them how you need fought for. Oh, my word. So everyone needs fought for in a different way, okay? Some people, <clears throat> you want screamed at, okay? You love getting screamed at. You love a good butt-whooping, yelling. You want, I mean, I, I know some. You just want yelled at. You want yelled at, and you're like, that's what I need. Some of you need a pat on the back. Hey, I'm here for you. You, you, need, you, want, you need to tell them how. You need to be specific and you have to give permission. And I think if you would tell people that, hey, I'm, I'm telling you this, I'm telling you how far to go, and here's what I need. Here's what I need. I need you to, if I don't do this, I want you, I had someone tell me before, I want you to show up at my house, knock on the door, and if I don't answer, break it down. I'm like, all right, break the, break the window. I can do that. No, but you would say, 
this is how serious my spiritual walk is to me now. This is how serious this decision is to me now. Would you keep me accountable in making that decision and following it through? Because I know myself too well. I know myself too well. I'll end up getting sidetracked. I'll go wayward. Summer will be over. I won't care anymore. And you would tell them that. Last one, number four. Tell the truth when there is more at stake. So here's what I would, here's, here's the analogy with this. Nathan, in 2 Samuel 12, had a decision to make. If I confront David, he's probably going to lose his crap. Probably not going to be friends anymore. Probably not hanging out anymore in the evening. Probably not having burgers anymore at Five Guys. I mean, we're done. It's, it's over. <clears throat> you have to ask yourself the decision when you're fighting for your friend. What type of situation have they got themselves into? Not based on perception, but on reality. So if you show up and you're like, hey, I feel like you just don't love the Lord anymore. I feel like you're sleeping around. I feel like you're out drinking every night. I feel, I feel, I feel, I perceive, I perceive, I perceive. And you have no facts and you just make a ton of accusations. They're going to be like, you're psycho. Really, you have no facts. But if you're able to say, this is what I have observed because of these five things. My fear is this, and I hope I'm wrong. If you see a friend, they've given you permission, they've told you, or they have, or no, sorry, they haven't given you any permission. They haven't said, keep me accountable. They haven't said this, but you're watching them absolutely destroy their life. And you're watching on the outside, and you're like, man, it says in Galatians 6, 1, restore with gentleness. It says that I need to take the log out of my own eye in Matthew 7 before I judge. I want to do all these things, but you know what? I would rather lose the friendship and be able to be the friend that God has called me to be than just keep some type of side hand friendship and see them make this life-altering decision. It's really destroying them because if you're not willing to fight for your friends, guess what? They're probably not your friends. And if you confront someone and the friendship ends, then you can say with peace, it wasn't a friendship that was worth fighting for for them. It was for me, but it wasn't for them. And you'll have the peace of mind knowing five years down the road, two years down the road, sometimes it's months down the road, if they realize you were right and they're able to come back, you're not going to rub it in their face. You're just going to say, it was because I loved you. Fight for your friends. And I ask myself this question all the time. I feel like God, for whatever reason, I hate it. He puts me in situations where I know something I probably should not know. I just shouldn't have the information. You ever felt like that? You're like, how do I know this? I shouldn't know this, but I know this. And this phrase, someone else said one time, I think about it all the time, and it's like God's like pressing this in my mind or my heart. If not you then who? If not you, then who? If I don't say anything, who would? I've had other people say this to me. If, not, if, if you're not going to say anything, no one else will. You're crazy enough to do it. You're an eight. Do it. <laughs> right? If not you, who? And I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but just a rabbit trail. I think this is important to mention. If the most important thing in life is what we were singing about and what Jesus did for us. While we were yet sinners, died for us. And if the most important thing is 
heaven and hell weigh in the balance. What is more important to share, to step out in boldness, to make the statement, I need to share Christ with you. I've been friends with you for a long time. You've been my neighbor for a long time. You've been my coworker for a long time. And I believe that if you were to die today, that you would go to hell unless you receive Christ as Savior. That is one you probably need to be wise about, but you don't want to wait until you have permission. Because if not you, then who? If you don't say anything, then who? And that, for me, spiritually has challenged me when talking to someone, praying for someone, just asking someone, how can I pray for you? How can I be here for you? If not me, then who else? Because God has placed me in someone's life for a reason. I want to finish this last one, number five. Without Jesus, we lose everything. And I know how corny that sounds or cliche that sounds or churchy that sounds, but that is facts. Without Jesus, we lose every single fight. It says this, Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup, which is the wrath of God, pass from me. Nevertheless, and this is something you and I can pray all the time, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them, what? Sleeping. Come on, man. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? I'll be honest, praying is, isn't praying hard? Just not like praying while you're doing the dishes, not praying while you're mowing, not praying while you ride a bike. Sit and pray. I've, I mean, an hour, I'd probably be clunked too. An hour is a long time. And Jesus says, could you not pray for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It goes on to say, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen. And again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. And their eyes were heavy. Now they're in trouble. You ever been that tired where you're like, just like pushing your eyes out? You're like, you can't stay awake. You're like, oh my gosh. I mean, get these guys an energy drink, right? Like they're struggling. They can't stay awake. They're, str- they're just tired. And I think that this is so much more than a physical exhaustion. They're spiritually spent. You ever been spiritually spent? Just tired? You're just, what's next? You're trying to hear from God. You don't hear. You're trying to know what God wants you to do. You're trying to know your next step in life, your next stage. You're, trying, you're just tired. These guys have been going crazy with him for three and a half years. This last week has been nuts for them. They're just tired. My heart goes out to them. They're just tired. And Jesus found them sleeping the second time. And he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words. Goes on to say, next slide, same words. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Unless 
Jesus shows up, they can't even stay awake physically and they can't stay awake spiritually. They can't fight the fight that God is asking them to fight. They can't step into the battle that God wants them to step into. And here's the last verse I would like for us to sit in, sit in with. It's 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says that light does not or cannot have fellowship with darkness. Or, wi- or what fellowship has light with darkness that if something is dark and you bring light into it, they can't, they can't mix. They can't mix. And here's what I have found a lot of people doing and a lot of, even a mistake I made recently. You will ask someone who cannot possibly step into a fight that you need to fight with you in a battle that is a spiritual battle. Three days ago, a buddy of mine asked me the question, how close we were, whatever, and I told him I was praying for him. He's not a follower of Jesus. And I looked at him and I said, hey man, I love you. I care for you. I pray for you every day. I'm ready for you to get saved any moment. But I want to let you know our friendship has capped. Because you can't be, for, be there for me in the most spiritual way that I need. And I can't be there for you in the most spiritual way that you need. I said that to him. I said, and I didn't explain this to him, but light cannot have fellowship with darkness. I can't ask him to keep me accountable in something that the Bible would, would advise us to do. I can't ask him to pray for me. I can pray for him, but really it still doesn't make sense to him. And some of us, you're asking someone or you know, a person to be there for you spiritually that they can't do it. They can't. So you gotta say, who, who are the people I'm giving permission to for this? Who are the, who's the person I'm asking to fight for me? And as we just read, would you pull up that previous slide um, when it said, my betrayer is coming. My betrayer, betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. In any friend group you have, Judas was someone who betrayed Jesus. If Ju- Jesus had a betrayer, so will you. It's just the reality. You're going to have someone stab you in the back. You're going to have someone betray you. You're going to have someone mock you, gossip about you. And it's going to make you believe that you cannot and should not trust anyone ever again. You opened up one time and someone ran their mouth. You said something to someone and they broke your trust. So now you just stand on the outside. You don't fight for anyone else and you don't want anyone to fight for you. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. That that is extremely demonic. That you would believe that you can't open up to anybody. You can't say anything to anyone. And Jesus himself, as he is thrown into the hands of sinners as they crucify him, if you are here today and you have never accepted Christ, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus lays down his life He goes to the cross and he rises from the dead offering eternal life. That is the first and foremost starting point to having the kind of friends to fight for. You and the ones that you can fight for. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this idea of fighting for our friends and our friendships. I pray that you would help all of us to have those types of friends. I know for me, isolation often is a choice. It's a decision I'm making. So God, would you give us boldness to not believe the lie? Would we not 
pity ourselves? Would we not think that we're the only one? Would you help all of us to have the right godly friendships that you've called us to have? That they wouldn't try to go through this season of really the biggest decisions of their life alone. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for everyone being here. Would you bless us with the rest of our evening? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.